Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Royals 2, the Cleveland Indians 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. However, there's a one more thing I enjoy, and that's transactions. And we had a huge trade yesterday at the trade deadline. We pretty much uh, stole the show at the trade deadline once again. We traded Mike Clevenger to the San Diego Padres, along with Greg Allen and a player to be named later, for six players. Three that are going to be on the Major League roster and three that will go into the minor league system. We will talk about all that. I've got some thoughts on some of these players, but before we get to that, we've got a baseball game to talk about because the Indians and the Royals played one hell of a boring baseball game yesterday. They both had their aces on the mound. For the Indians, it was Shane Bieber, and for the Royals, it was Brad Keller, and these guys were dueling. This was a pitcher's duel all the way through. I'm telling you, there's, there's really nothing of note until the seventh inning of this game when both starters came out. That's how good both these guys were last night. For uh, Shane Bieber, it was all about the strikeouts. For Brad Keller, it was actually about the groundouts. Brad Keller got the Indians to ground out 10 times to go along with four strikeouts. For Shane Bieber, it was nine strikeouts. Three groundouts, two fly balls. So... Uh, Bieber was definitely doing the strikeouts and Brad Keller getting the ground balls. I mean, for the Indians offense, I'm going to run it really fast. Ready? This is everything you need to know until the seventh inning. Strikeout, strikeout, single ground out. Line out, ground out, ground out. Ground out, line out, walk, ground out. Told you these ground outs, man. They're adding up. Fourth, line out, pop out, strike out. Wow, an entire inning without grounding out. Fifth, ground out, ground out, ground out. He grounds out the side. Is that a thing? It is now, apparently. And in the sixth, strike out, ground out, ground out. That's how it went down for the Indians for through the first six. How about for the Royals? Anything better from the Royals? Fly out, walk, strike out, strike out. Single, strike out, strike out, ground out. Ground out, strike out, walk, strike out. Seeing a pattern with these strikeouts here. Strikeout, pop out, line out. Walk to lead off the inning. Strikeout, strikeout, line out. Ground out, walk, another walk. Line out and fly out. No strikeouts in the six for Shane Bieber. And that would be Bieber's last inning. Brad Keller would pitch into the seventh. And this is where this is where you should have turned the game on last night. Because, like... As you saw, nothing really happened before that. Francisco Lindor lines out to center to lead off the seventh, but then Carlos Santana singles on a sharp line drive to center field, and then Famille Reyes comes up. And it feels like it's been a few days since we've said Famille Reyes' name, right? I, I don't know what uh, technically he was for the entire St. Louis series, but it doesn't feel, aside from that, well, he was big in that first game, in that Friday night game. Saturday and Sunday doesn't feel like he really showed up for either of those games. He does in this one a big double, and guess who's coming around all the way from first to score? Carlos, I've got speed when I needed Santana. We talked about this a few times now. Santana knows how to put it into another gear. He's got a little gas when he needs it. 
Sure, most of the time he's a slow pickup truck, but he can be a sports car when he needs to be. He flies around third base. It was it was actually a little bit awkward because he reached out pretty far on his last step to make sure he hit third base, and then he chugs home. Doesn't not even a throw. He scores from first without even a throw. Raises ball got deep into the hole in left center field, and he's in with an RBI double and. At that point, it really felt like that might be the game. It might be a one nothing game. They bring in some relief pitchers. After a touch, tough at-bat, Tyler Naquin does fly out to center field. And uh, Naquin had some tough at-bats yesterday. He, he went 0 for 4 on the day, but he was battling up there. And then uh, Wild Pitch moves from Mil Reyes to third, so you're thinking there might be a chance, but Luplo pops out to first base. All right. So Phil Maton comes in now, pitching for Shane Bieber. He takes the seventh. Take note of that, by the way. Phil Maton is getting the ball in the seventh inning of a one nothing game. The Indians have a lot of confidence in him right now. It gets interesting, though. He gives up a single to Alex Gordon to lead off the inning. All right. He strikes out Alberto Mondesi. He gets Nicky Lopez is then hit by a pitch which moves the pinch runner Bubba Starling up to second. All right, he is in trouble. They take they have a mound visit. They don't take him out of the game, though. That was his three batters. They could have gone to Karinchek or something like that, but they stick with Phil Maton. A pinch hitter comes in, Ryan McBroom, who apparently is like a home run machine for the Royals pinch hitting. It's really funny watching these away broadcasts because Rick Manning seems to be the guy in charge of this for the Indians' call. Because they're getting the feed from the Kansas City TV crew. They don't know what replays are coming. They don't know what, you know, package video packages are coming. So all of a sudden, they launch into this video package for Ryan McBroom as he pinch hits. And Manning's got to catch up on the fly and figure out what the heck they're showing him. And it turns out this guy has like three pinch hit home runs already on the season. Uh, there was another interesting one in the... Uh, earlier in the game with uh, Matt Underwood, where uh, I think Michael Franco made a really good play at third base. And normally, like a producer would come into your ear and say, hey, we got that replay going out or something like that. And so he's talking about how great the play is, and he's waiting for a replay. He's waiting for the Kansas City broadcast crew to show him a replay. And they don't. They just stay on Michael Franco all the way to the commercial. And Underwood has some call like, it would have been great to see it again, but great play by Michael Franco. So it is funny watching our announcers adjust on the fly to what they're being shown from the away broadcast. But Ryan McBroom comes up and Mayton gets him called out on strikes. Gets him looking on an outside fastball that painted the edge. Phil Mason, he doesn't blow guys away. He's not throwing in the upper 90s, but it is a mid-90s fastball, and it's got life. And uh, it was effective yesterday. They do have a mound visit then, and they bring in Nick Wickren to face the last batter. So maybe it was a situation where no one was loose yet, and they needed him to face one more batter before someone was loose in the bullpen. I disagree with this, actually. Phil Mayton really felt like he was working his way out of it. He just gasses a guy with a fastball, and then you bring in Nick Wickren. Now, when you bring in a new reliever from the pen, right, it resets all the odds. It resets all the momentum, the probabilities. Like, 
you you don't know what a player is going to give you on any day. So if you got a guy in there, you at least have a track record from that inning. You know what he's doing. You know what's working. Is he feeling his fastball? Is he feeling his breaking ball? When you bring a guy in from the bullpen, it's either going to be great or horrible. And it's it's I, I'm surprised they risked it with two outs and a runner in scoring position. A, scoring position against Whit Merrifield, probably the best player in the Royals lineup. And I think on like the second pitch or something like that, Merrifield, let's take a look at the replay. Yeah, it was the second pitch. He falls behind him one nothing, and then throws him a changeup at the bottom of the zone. And Merrifield goes down and gets it and hits a hard line drive out the left field that Luplo had to make an awkward looking catch. But I'm guessing for Luplo, it probably didn't feel as awkward as it looked to us on TV. Now, again, my experience is from old man softball, but I play the outfield. And I can tell you as an outfielder sometimes, you you know you see the ball. You know you're tracking the ball. He doesn't turn his back to it. He kind of does this like side shuffle because he knows that this ball is coming fast and eventually he's going to have to square his shoulders and catch this thing. And that's exactly what he does. It looks awkward. It's an awkward shuffle backward. He doesn't get burned on it. He doesn't take his first step in. He's he's drifting back, drifting back, keeping his eye on the ball, keeping his body ready. And when right when the ball gets there, he squares up and catches it. So I think it looked worse than it actually was for Luplo. I'm guessing he probably would have told you he had that ball the whole time. And uh, I know I know Luplo's defense isn't all-star level. It's not gold glove level defense. But Luplo can hold his own out there in the outfield, except for St. Louis when he loses the ball in the sun, which happens to everybody at some point in their career. All right. So Wickren gets out of it. Get, but that's what I'm talking about. Uh, Merrifield hit that hard. Like, I would have much rather seen Phil Maton stay in and finish that one out. But Wickering gets out of it. The eighth inning, we do put together a little bit of a rally here with two outs. Cesar Hernandez singles up the middle. A nice, easy single up the middle for Cesar Hernandez. There's lots of holes in the ground when, when you hit the ball on the ground sometimes. And he shoots it up the middle. Jose Ramirez singles on a ground ball to third base. It was it was weakly hit, but the way they were shifting against him and Franco was playing back because there were two outs, it was just one of those things up the middle where his only play was to try to charge in and barehand it, and he can't come up with it. Even if he comes up with it, Ramirez was running out of the box. He wanted that single, that infield hit. We got runners on first and second now. Francisco Lindor up, a chance to pad the lead. He works a good at bat. But unfortunately, he grounds out to second baseman Nicky Lopez. Hit the ball hard. Try to plug it. You know, if that's a gapper, we're all patting him on the back. Unfortunately, it's right at second base. All right, so James Karinchek comes in to pitch the eighth. And Karinchek did it to himself. He walks Hunter Dozier, and then he walks Jorge Soler to start the inning. That's how you Starting the inning with two walks, you are really, really making a tough night for yourself. And it just felt like his command was off yesterday. Uh, He wasn't popping the strike zone with that curveball. We've seen him do that on first pitches, second pitches, where he puts it in the strike zone and then drops it out of the strike zone or throws it away later in the count once he's got ahead. Uh, The fastball didn't seem like it was really, uh, really finding its spot last night. 
So he walks the first two hitters. He does get Ryan O'Hearn to strike out swinging. He did gas him with a high fastball. I mean, O'Hearn had to felt his entire upper body lift, right? His, when As a hitter, when you feel your shoulders lift up near your ears, that's probably not a good feeling. You probably know in the back of your head, I'm striking out on this pitch. However, Mikel Franco, Michael Franco singles on a line drive to left field. It brings in Hunter Dozer. So they tie the game up. Jorge Soler goes to second. And unfortunately, Karinchek cannot hold the lead. He started to pitch better as the inning went on. But when you walk two guys, like I said, you put yourself behind. You put all the pressure on yourself. And the Royals hitters just had to sit back, wait for something in the strike zone, and put a good swing on it. So Franco does that, and that knocks Karinchek out of the game. They bring in Adam Simber to face Bubba Starling. And he gives up a single up the center field. Jorge Soler comes in to score. And it was a weird situation where I thought the line out of Shields had a play. Like, Shields came flying in. He scooped up the ball, got it clean, and came up throwing. And for some reason, like, you're supposed to throw it over your cutoff guy's head. You know, put it in line with your cutoff guy to home plate, right? Put it, you know, they put their arms up, and you're supposed to put it right through like a field goal towards home plate. Well... Francisco Lindor decided to cut the ball off. I, I don't know if he felt like the throw wasn't online or it just was right there in front of him, so he did it. But Francisco Lindor cuts the throw off and then throws home, and it's not in time to get Jorge Soler. If he comes up throwing straight from center field to home, if it's online, I think they got Soler at the plate. I think they would have got him by a mile at the plate. But for some reason, Lindor cuts it off, and I think it's just one of those situations where he reacted and, you know, it burns us. So that gives Kansas City a 2-1 lead. They do get out of the inning from there. Simber's able to strike out Alberto Mondesi, and Nicky Lopez pops out. So it could have been a lot worse. I mean, they still had a runner in scoring position there. So it could have been worse. 2-1 to Kansas City. Top of the ninth inning, Greg Holland comes in, and the Indians put up a little bit of a fight, but it wasn't enough. Carlos Santana flies out to start the inning. Just a lazy fly ball. Fermil Reyes hits another double into left center field. Fermil Reyes was locked in late in the game, I guess. Two doubles in his last two at-bats of the game, and pretty much in the same spot. Mercado comes in to run for him. Tyler Naquin battles. Again, we talked about Tyler Naquin fighting at the plate. He He fouled off two hard line drives down the right field line. If he could put those in play, we tie this game, no question. But eventually, he throws them too many. I, I forget if it was a changeup. I think it was a changeup away. And he finally strikes him out swinging. Then Josh Naylor, the new player, Josh Naylor, from the San Diego Padres, from the Mike Clevenger trade. How about this for your first at-bat? Pinch hit in the ninth inning of a 2-1 game. Unfortunately, he grounds out to second base. He was running his butt off down the line. You could tell he wanted to get an infield single to try to keep this game alive for his new team. He was running as hard as he could, but he grounds out to end the game. So for the Indians, it's one run on six hits. For the Kansas City Royals, it is two runs on only four hits. That's how good these guys were pitching yesterday. The line for Shane Bieber is six innings, a hit, no earned runs, four walks, and nine strikeouts. He did six innings of one-hit baseball and gets a no decision on the day, so he stays at 6-0 on the season. For Brad Keller, it's six and a third, three hits, one earned run, a walk, and four strikeouts. He also 
has a no decision. So he stays undefeated on this season. I believe he's, oh no, I apologize. He's three and one, stays at three and one on the season. Barlow actually gets the win and Greg Holland gets the save and the loss goes to Karinczak with his second blown save of the season. So what was the difference between Shane Bieber? Because it was definitely different approaches between him and Brad Keller. Well, I can tell you, if you look at the swing, the plate discipline and the swing percentages, the Kansas City Royals definitely took the approach that we are going to try to be patient against Shane Bieber. That's our approach going in. The first time they faced them, way back in the first start of the season, their swing percentage was 45.4% of the time. They swung 45.4% of the times, 45% of the pitches thrown. Last night, 38.1% of the total pitches thrown they're swung at. So they are definitely, definitely trying to be more patient against Shane Bieber. Last time, they made swinging at balls outside of the strike zone in his first start. They had 18.2% contact rate. Last night, it was at 60%. Uh, Their in-zone contact percentage was at 76%. Their overall contact percentage was 70%. The first start against them way back at the beginning of the season, end of July, a month ago, was 59%. Last night, it was 70%. So they were making more contact when they swung. And they cut down on their swinging strikes. It was 11.4% last night. In their first game against him, 18.6%. So they were more patient. They cut down on their swinging strikes. They were trying to they were trying to wait him out a little bit. How'd that work out for them? Not well, considering they struck out nine times. Now, they were able to get four walks out of him. So they got guys on base that way. But when he's striking out everybody else, it really doesn't matter. And how was he doing it last night? He was doing it with his fastball. Now, he didn't throw his... He he threw the fastball more than he had thrown it at any point in the season, but still, it wasn't off the charts for him. He threw the fastball 49.5% of the time. The slider and the curveball were down. The slider only threw 9.5% of the time. The cutter was also up. The cutter was at 20%. His last start, he only threw the cutter 8.8% of the time. And the changeup was down at 2.9%. So he was having a little bit of a command issue, too, with the curveball at the beginning of the game. He was was throwing it in the dirt a little bit, which usually he gets guys to chase it. So I think that him and Roberto Perez got into a situation where they weren't chasing the curveball anymore. And he figured, all right, let's just throw fastballs then. Let's gas these guys. And he was. He was painting the top of the zone, the outside edge of the zone with the fastball. Guys were swinging and missing. Guys were looking and taking. He was striking dudes out with the fastball last night. I believe six of his strikeouts of the nine came on the fastball last night. For Brad Keller, how was Brad Keller doing it last night? Well, he wasn't getting guys to chase outside the strike zone. We were only swinging at 18.9% of the pitches outside the strike zone. The Indians were getting good contact in the zone. 97% contact in the zone. Overall, our contact was 90.7% last night. So we were not swinging and missing a lot last night. Swinging strikes was at 3.9%. So we were on the ball last night. We were just hitting a ton of ground balls. The ground ball percentage last night was 55%. 
of all the balls we hit were ground balls. Line drives were 33%. Fly balls were only 11%. This dude doesn't give up home runs. He hasn't given up a home run on the season. And that stayed true last night. 55% ground balls. That's incredible. I mean, we were making hard contact, too. We, our hard contact percentage was 50%. So we were, uh, for Shane Bieber, let's see what he was doing. What were the Kansas City Royals doing against him? Hard contact last night was only 20% against Shane Bieber. So we were putting it in play. We were hitting it hard. We were just hitting ground balls. And ground balls to their infielders. So that's how Brad Keller got it done last night. That's Interesting that the two guys had two different approaches and both had comparable success. Uh, Bieber got a little bit better start than Keller did, but both guys pitched like aces last night. So a fun pitching matchup. I'm sure Pitching Ninja is going to have a few highlights from the Indians in his top five today. We shall see. All right. We got to talk about this big trade now because that's the big news of the day. Mike Clevenger is traded. Of course, everybody said the right things yesterday. Clevenger said there's no bad blood. Antonetti said it wasn't about what happened with him at Plesak going out. You know, it was just they got maximum value for Clevenger because he still has years of control on him. So they pulled the trigger at the trade deadline. Now, everybody wanted us to go out and get some major league help, right? You could see from our one run last night that this offense still needs a lot of help. So did we get it? Did we get the offensive help we need from the Padres? No, we didn't. There's three major league players. There's outfielder Josh Naylor, pitcher Cal Quintrill, and catcher Austin Hedges. And none of these guys are really what we were looking for as far as offensive help goes. Now, probably the one with the best chance at this is Josh Naylor, who pinch hit last night. Naylor is a former first-round pick, by the way, from the Miami Marlins. Ended up in the Padres system. His raw power, at least on fan graphs, grades out at a 70. In the minor leagues, he definitely had some pop. However, in his two seasons in the majors, he's doing okay. He was hitting 270 so far this season with around uh, just over 700 slugging uh, OPS. His weighted runs created plus. So this is one of those stats where you want to be above 100, not below 100, because league average is set to 100. His weighted runs created plus was only at a 94. So he's close. He, he's, he's getting there. This guy has a ton of control left. Uh, he's only 23 years old. His service time is less than a season, so we're, this guy is should be around for a while. Now, some things you got to know about him. Like I said, in the minors, he hit. So this guy has a chance at being a everyday left fielder for us, being an above-average outfielder for us. So if you look at his spray chart over his two seasons in the majors, He's a lefty, and a lot of his ground balls go to the right side, as you would expect from a lefty. However, his fly balls and his line drives, I'm telling you, it feels more like left field, left center, than it does right field. He uses the whole outfield, doesn't really use the whole infield. Now, how about those hits? Well, here's where it gets interesting. So a lot of his ground ball outs are to the right side, but if you look at his singles, his singles are to the he uses the whole field, a lot to left, a left center, and center field. So when this guy is going good, 
he is going the opposite way and using the whole field. Same thing with doubles. They're spread all out around the outfield. His home runs, he does pull. His power is definitely to his pull side and to right field and to center field. So if he's going for a home run, he's pulling the ball. If it's a single, chances are he's going backside or up the middle. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on for Josh Naylor. I'm optimistic about him. Cal, uh, for, we'll stick to the batters. Austin Hedges, this dude is known as a really good defensive catcher. He's really good at handling a pitching staff. His bat is absolutely nothing to get excited about. His highest batting average of his career came in 2018 when he hit 231. His highest OPS was that same season at 711. 711. His OPS plus, again, that stat where you want to be above 100, right? 100 is league average. Here are his OPSs over his six seasons 30, negative 12, 73, 95, 50, and 63. So. Look, this guy is not going to improve our offense. He's not like JT Realmuto out in Philadelphia. This guy is a defensive catcher. Now, he hit in the minors. Again, he's a top draft pick. He was a second-round pick for the San Diego Padres. So this guy was hitting in the minors. He has absolutely not translated it to the majors. So chances are he's going to be the backup catcher behind Roberto Perez. And it's another guy where we're like, okay, handle the pitching staff. Do your job with the pitching staff. Do your job controlling base runners, and we'll deal with the hitting. Now, Cal Quintrill. Cal Quintrill has bounced back and forth between a starter and a reliever. In the minor leagues, he was a starter. In the major so far, he's bounced back and forth. He spent most of the season in the bullpen. His numbers don't jump off the charts. This season, so last season, his Ks per nine were only 7.78, which is not eye-popping. His Ks this year are up. They're at 9.35, mostly working out of the bullpen this year. So he's striking out more guys. But you know what happens when pitchers get into the Indian system. The Indians have a way with pitchers. So hopefully Cal Contrill can become a pretty dominant presence out of the bullpen. We'll wait and see. His pitch mix is pretty much fastball, slider, changeup. His fastball comes in just under 95 miles per hour. Working out of the pen, maybe the Indians pitching coaches, maybe Ruben Diabolis can get a few more miles per hour out of that fastball. His slider, he throws 36% of the time. That's at 86. And his changeup, he throws 11% of the time at 85. So now that he's in the system, let's keep an eye on this. He used to throw a curveball, doesn't really throw it anymore. We'll see what the Indians coaches do with him. If that's the same pitch mix, you know, do they change his fastball? Do they add, a, you know, another pitch, a cutter? Do they add something else? Do they it's, – it's really interesting what the Indians coaching staff does with these guys. So we shall see what happens with him. I mean, it's, it's really hard to predict, predict because we don't exactly know what his role is going to be. Is he going to be an Adam Plutko type, a long reliever who occasionally makes a spot start or an opener? Um, we'll see. We'll see. So those are the major league players. The minor league players are the guys that you're probably more excited about. The major league players, I give them like a C grade on the return. I don't really grade. Yeah. You know, let's go with that. Let's just go with that. A C grade for the major league players. 
The minor league players, I have a little bit more to be excited about. Gabriel Arias slots in as the number five prospect for the Indians on their top 30 rankings. This is according to MLB. He he was a little bit actually lower in the Padres system. I want to say that these guys were like something around like 7, 11, and 12 or something in the Padres system. They were right around there. They were right around the lower 10, but, you know, mid-20 prospects for the Padres. You know, people were pissed that they didn't get any of the top five prospects from the Padres. And it's understandable, but the Indians do have a way of picking these prospects and turning them into good players. So we will see. So Arias is the number five prospect in the Indian system now. He can hit. I mean, he's known more for his defense right now. His fielding grades on that 20 to 80 grading scale are definitely higher. His fielding is a 60. His arm is a 60. His hit is only a 45. But in high A, he hit. He hit 302, had a over 800 OPS in this high A ball. So we shall see. This guy could be the shortstop of the future. I know, I know you want to see Francisco Lindor signed to like a $400 million contract and be here for the next 10 years. I get that. But if it doesn't happen, Gabriel Arias definitely could be the shortstop of the future. Plus, I mean, we also have Tyler Freeman in the system. We also have Brian Rochio. We've got a lot of shortstops in this system already. So We will see Carson Tucker. We will see how these guys all shake out and which one of these guys becomes the shortstop of the future. Because the other guys can play second base or third. All right, the other guys we got, Joey Cantillo. He slots in as the number 15 prospect in the Indian system. He was higher in the Padres system, and I'm I'm surprised these guys aren't all top 10 because they talk about how great the Padres system is. It's the best system in baseball. You would think that the Indian system, these guys would slot higher, but nope. Joey comes in at number 15 in the Indian system. There is a lot of high hope for this guy. He struck out a lot of guys in the minor leagues, and he can become a really exciting pitcher for us right now. Overall, in the 2080 grading scale, they only have him as a 50. But I'm telling you, he had 144 strikeouts to 34 walks in 111 innings in Class A. Is the Class A the highest he's made it? Yeah, High A is the highest he's played in so far. So this dude's a starter, and this guy can be really, really good for us. He's left-handed. He's a big dude. And it's going to be fun seeing what he does tearing up our system. Because guys come up fast in our system. So we'll see how soon he comes here. He's projected the 2022 season. Yeah, maybe one more season in the minors. I mean, if he moves up into AA next year, if AA exists, then yeah, 2022 sounds about right. And the last guy we got was Owen Miller. Owen Miller, he's a shortstop second base. He probably projects, as they say, as a second baseman in the majors. And again, everything we've heard about this guy is he hits. He hit uh, at double A last year, 290 with a, let me do the quick math, definitely just under 800, a 785 OPS. But all the, uh, you know, everything they say about this guy is he can hit. His hits a 55, his, uh, his power is a 40. 
So he is definitely going to be a contact guy right now. They think power can develop. He had 43 extra base hits, so doubles, lots of doubles here. And he, they say he's got a knack for making solid contact. So hopefully, hopefully, what I've got in my mind is hopefully this guy projects as the best of Jason Kipnis. Remember those seasons where Kipnis was like hitting third, where he was, you know, an all-star? If we can get that kind of production out of Owen Miller, if that's the kind of second baseman he turns into and can sustain it because Kipnis, unfortunately, because of injuries or whatever, couldn't sustain it. If that's how Owen Miller projects, I'll take that. That might be the second baseman in the future. So I am actually really excited about all three of these prospects. I know they're not the top prospects in the Padres system, but I think they went out and found three really good players with really good raw tools that you know the Indians minor league system knows how to work with guys. So they've had way more success with pitchers than they have hitters, but you forget Francisco Lindor came up in the system. Jose Ramirez came up in the system. Uh, I'll even give Tyler Naquin. Tyler Naquin came up in the system. Like we've had some good players come up in this system. I know you get hung up on, you know, guys like Bobby Bradley who haven't broken through and Greg Allen who just got traded away. And some of the other players that maybe flamed out, didn't break through. But we can develop some hitters every now and then. So I'm giving them an A for the minor league players they got. Yes, I wanted a veteran outfielder just like the rest of you to help out this offense. We didn't go out and get it. There were a few that were moved yesterday. I thought there might be some guys available from Arizona or from the Mets maybe. I thought there might be some National League guys out there that we could have probably just given up like some of these guys got traded for like international pool money and a player to be named later, uh, you know, a low A player or something like that. I thought we probably could have struck one of those deals. I see no reason why we couldn't have struck one of those deals. We DFA'd Domingo Santana. He's off the team now. And we could have slotted one of these guys in, right? Oscar Mercado got called up. He could have stayed at the minor league site. We could have brought in a veteran outfielder that could hit and help this team out. The way we brought Jay Bruce in a few years ago, we didn't do it. So this season is going to live and die on that decision. Will this offense flounder or will this offense come together? Will Naylor be the outfielder we're looking for? I mean, like we said, this guy is a former first-round pick. This guy can hit. So will he bring it? Will he pick up this offense? He'll probably be hitting 7th, 8th, ninth. So we shall see what happens there. All right, it was a little bit longer episode, but with a big trade like that, there is a lot to talk about. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Kansas City. It's the Royals 2, the Indians 1. We'll be back tomorrow because Zach Plesak is back in this rotation. He's taking my Clevenger spot. So lots to talk about there. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.